Phil Moyers, I think, once asked you the question, can you imagine writing a novel that's not centered mm-hmm. about race? Mm-hmm. And you said, absolutely. Yes. Will you? That's what he asked me. <laughs> <laughs> I think, uh, see, I answered the question he didn't pose. You know, um, Tolstoy writes about race. Yeah. All the time. Um, so does Zola, so does James Joyce. Now, if anybody can go up to an imaginary James Joyce and say, you write about race all the time, it's central in your novels, when are you going to write about what? Because you see, the person who asks that question doesn't understand that he is also, he or she is also race. So to ask me when am I going to stop, and or when if I can, is to ask a question that, in a, in a sense, is its own answer. Yes, I can write about white people. White people can write about black people. Anything can happen in art. There are no boundaries there. Having to do it or having to prove that I can do it is what was embarrassing or insulting. In this book, I did. Because in this country, many books, particularly then, uh, 40s, 50s, you could feel the address of the narrator over my shoulder, talking to somebody else, talking to somebody one. I could tell because they were explaining things, but they didn't have to explain it. They were talking to me. It was that. This is a, it's profound for me. So that I may be, you may be right, maybe I'm over-dramatizing the whole question, which was innocent enough, because the problem of being free to write the way you wish to without this other racialized gaze is a serious one for an African-American writer. Very serious. I think this is one of those times where what you just said you gave and ennobled an answer, regardless of the significance <laughs> well, that's good. of the question. commercial break yeah well it felt it's, it's it feels like it's been a while because we kind of pushed this recording back uh, a week because of my awesome travels mm-hmm. yeah gabe had to go be jet set radio superstar globe trotter cosmopolitan flaneur i <laughs> you met with taylor i, swift. I, I, I saw taylor swift and we might, yeah you we hung might out be, with taylor 
we might be dating. I'm not like breaking any news or anything. Yeah, uh, Gabe's in a polycule now with yeah. him, Morgan, and Taylor <laughs> Swift. <laughs> pretty yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. So that you know, cool. we're we're pretty uh, you know open minded like that. You know, you know what I'm saying. But uh, yeah, I got. I do have to say, Taylor, I love you. Who? Not the most riveting speaker. Shocking. What was what was her like? Um, big sort of takeaway to the the new graduates. Can you, if you had to say, I'm, I mean, she talked about herself a lot, um, and she kind of. I guess the big takeaway was like, uh, it was kind of. Uh, she, I guess, I'm trying to remember the details of the speech. I feel like it, I feel like the main takeaway was like, trust your gut. Don't let people, you know, fucking the most kind of basic graduation stuff. Like, don't, 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 uh, don't let people tell you you can't do something. Blah 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 blah. Yeah, live your power. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You can, I can, you can start from nothing like me in Connecticut. Yeah, exactly. And become, <laughs> and then, and then buy a house and in then Watch Hill, Rhode Island. Yeah. Right. yeah. <laughs> Sorry to dox you, Taylor Swift. But uh, yeah, it was it was a little That's bit of too a. Bad, though. It was, I, I was it, I was kind of hoping that she'd be like. She should have just sang. Really interesting. Me too. I, it was a little bit of a never meet your heroes moment. And yeah. uh, uh, I mean, what did you? Were you disappointed in in the real sense of expecting something different, though? No, not really. Okay, yeah. <laughs> my uh, my brother's graduating speaker was uh, uh, David Brooks. Ooh. Yeah, I guess he went to. He also went to New Hampshire, University of New Hampshire. Okay, but yeah, I, I, I David Brooks is not great. No, I, I was, but I was the only one who was like, like I just remember my dad being like, "Wow, what a powerful, <laughs> was, powerful speaker!" Wow. That's all I had to say. Uh, that, that's a man filled with wisdom. And so I was just like, ah, uh, because he was like taking so many L's, <laughs> like at that time, online and just being so stupid. Did he get me tooed or not? He had something no. with his wife, and then his his girlfriend was like super young. Okay, uh, something okay. like that. Like, All right, I forgot the details. Yeah, and he tried to like write about it, I think, and everyone was just clowning on him for a really long time. Yeah. Anyway, he should take her to court like Johnny Depp and win back the public opinion. This uh, this this uh, spoiler alert: this episode is actually just about Johnny Depp and Amber Heard trial. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Surprise. Yeah. But uh yeah. No, I mean, you know, Taylor was fine. She was conversational. She was it was a uh, easy good good whatever. Fine little speech. Cra- it was a crowd And you got her you know number I mean? and, and I got her number and, and we're dating. Cool. So she's going to hear this and we might break up and she's going to write a song about it <laughs> that my my asshole elitist ex-boyfriend hated my NYU uh, commencement <laughs> speech. <clears throat> yeah. It's going it's going to be called Never Meet Your Heroes. Never Meet Your Heroes. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be called NYU and me. <laughs> Damn nice, dude. <laughs> Not bad. So Not bad. Anyway, um, so. Uh, this is the Spinecrackers podcast, by the way, that you're listening to. Uh, we talk about uh, literature and books and uh, the words uh, contained therein. Mm-hmm. And uh, my name is Gabe. I'm one of your uh, hosts. My name is Matt. I am... Uh also one-third of, of the hosts on the show. My name is Paul, and I am also one-third of the hosts. And I like the idea of that we're all just one-third of the host, just one host, like a fucking like, <laughs> Voltron or like... 
or like yeah. the Holy Trinity, which spoiler alert. What? I, I think there's, I think the, this, this book is sort of a reference to that. Yeah. There's a lot of biblical imagery and there's a, oh, and there's when I a hear the Holy Trinity. I think and, of the Tim Heidecker podcast. Oh, <laughs> now. <laughs> and there's twisted. sort of a holy or perhaps unholy ghost in this book. That's right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the book opens with the with Romans nine twenty five. Correct. Um, well, I guess we should say the, what the book is that we're talking about today, ladies and uh, uh, germs. We're talking about uh, the Pulitzer Prize. Well, not not Pulitzer. I'm sorry, Nobel Prize. Nobel Prize winning yeah. uh, novel, uh, Beloved, by Toni Morrison, uh, 1987, original publication. Uh, a you know. I don't know. I, I, I think it's fair to say, like towering work of uh, American fiction, sort of put up put up there as a one of the big ones. One yeah. of the big, yeah, one of the big ones, especially in modern 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 times, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this was your choice, correct, Gabriel? This was my choice. Yes. Defend uh, yourself. Okay. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. I need to defend myself. Per <laughs> I'm se. just. Yeah, uh, I'm joking. Alex, uh, racist. But uh, yeah, it's Alex, more like <laughs> why didn't we pick it sooner? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I can explain myself. I mean, one, I had never read it before, and that's a you know a blind spot that I wanted to remedy. I have read, uh, I did read The Bluest Eye, uh, m- you know, many years ago, uh, and remember liking it. But you know, don't don't have a lot of detailed thoughts on it today. I think uh, I think that might have been in college, like or, um, anyway, I don't remember. But uh, so that and um, uh, I think you know at this juncture in American cultural history where all, all of these uh, laws and pushes to fucking like ban books in schools and critical race theory and all of this any any discussion about like slavery or racism or like the actual history of America um, I thought it would be a good time to kind of uh, uh, highlight this book because this this is one of the books that's always on those lists of like books mm-hmm. that they're trying to like not let them teach to kids. Um, I think I did not know that. That's absolutely crazy. Kid. Oh yeah, I know. Yeah, if, by this, the way, I, yeah, I didn't realize this was on the chopping block in that. In oh, this that is like grouping. one of the most frequently cited ones that they don't want taught in in schools. I mean, there is some spicy stuff going on in here for sure. Well, it's. I mean, yeah, I think. I don't like, get it though. Th- well, there was a. There was. A, I mean, there was a commercial. I think it was in the Virginia governor's race a couple years ago where they had like a mom be like, "Tony Morrison turned my son into a soy cock liberal, <laughs> like like critical race theorist," and like one of the people running for governor in Virginia like used that in a political commercial or something, and it's like, what the fuck. Damn. So yeah, I mean, I'll, just to put my cards on the table, if you if you have any sympathies towards banning uh, this book or books in general or critical race theory from schools, you can fuck off and stop listening to this podcast. You're a child and you're an anti intellectual, and fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> Word. <laughs> so there's that. Um, and you know, so anyway, I just thought that it was important to 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 read this book in 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 with that context in mind because it's something that I see. You know, I'm in I'm in academia and I'm in education specifically, and so people, you know, it's a conversation that comes up. Um, and yeah, I mean, I I think like the book is very difficult to read, and I could I could understand people being disturbed reading it, but. Uh, a lot of great literature is like that. 
and in terms of just like you know generating like understanding of, about something like slavery and its effects it's indispensable to me a book like this yeah the the word disturbing is is definitely the thing that comes to mind first i had uh, i had read this book in in uh, college uh, as as part of this sort of like american literature course um yeah and it was one of those things that like it like disturbing yeah just like sits and like the the things that happen and the and the turns of phrase and the writing itself just sort of like winds its way into your brain and just like cre- creeps you out but yeah. it's effective you know it's like obvious clearly the intention of morrison to do so and to like i, I think, think just she says in the in the foreword or the preface or whatever right like sure that her goal was to have the reader feel like they had been kidnapped right <laughs> and like thrown really? into thrown into like an alien world yeah, I mean, it's bec- and I mean like it's essentially not essentially, but it, it's in part a ghost story, right? It takes a kind of horror, basically kind of like a horror thing, like a horror theme. There's like and multiple. Runs with it. There's multiple like exorcism scenes. Um, and yeah, so definitely some some like horror tropes in the uh, play. I mean, I could see, you know, uh, wanting to like. You know, a book like this, depending on the age of the people you're teaching it to, you definitely need to, uh, you know, scaffold it to use an education yeah. education. You gotta jargon. equip these kids with yeah. dealing with it. Yeah. yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't advocate for just like throwing them in blind. Um, Do you guys uh, know what um, what level of education this book is taught? I think high, like high school normally, uh, or sometimes high school, often college. Yeah, I mean, I read this. I read this as like a sophomore. Yeah, in college. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I you know, I could see some kind of like, con- you know, content warning, trigger warning, whatever, which we should also probably do. Uh, just FYI, if you know anything about the book, we're going to be talking about slavery and racial violence and sexual violence. And it's uh, fucked. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. And also, yep. you know, just note to note to um, We're uh, we're all uh, white guys here. And uh, e- yeah, so that's, you know, just. Always, always got to just fucking note that because right. you know, whatever we say is is needs to be you know discounted by that by that much because of yeah. that fact I suppose. I think that I wasn't exactly like disturbed. It's like not the right word for me. It was mostly like it was like a clear image and depiction of what I suspected. You know, like I, you always like suspect there's horrible evils that took place. But this book just kind of like blatantly goes through what I felt like I already like, yeah, just suspected and knew about that that time. And it's like, what what time does it take place? Like five, I, I, ten I, years before the Civil War. I think I the, think the span of it, including the memories, is is pre antebellum to post war. Yeah, so uh, Civil War. I think when it opens, if I'm not mistaken, it's 1873. Yeah, that sounds right. And then Sweet Home was like 50s, 1850s or something like that. Because they're talking about the, I think, the Fugitive Slave Act, uh, right? Like, and and the sort of tensions that were that was drumming up in the country. Um, Which was pre-Lincoln, right? I think it was the president. It was before the war. Yeah, it was like a thing that sort of like ramped up tensions and was part, a big uh, 
was claimed to be a big reason for the war, sort of. Yeah. Although, it, you know, yeah. in, in hindsight, it def- definitely just seems like an inevitability. But there were. Um, but when there, Lincoln was was elected, he actually agreed to continue with the act so that he wouldn't like lose the South immediately. Initially, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, few, there, apparently there were kidding. multiple <laughs> kidding. Jk. <Yeah. laughs> J- JK fugitive, Law. Sl- fugitive slave act. Jk. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, uh, yeah. Apparently there were multiple acts with that name or variations on it. So not 1793 and 1850, and then repealed in 1864. Right. Yeah. So yeah. But it basically means if you were a slave that escaped the North. Southern, like what police forces had the right to go find you and and take you back? Just literally bounty hunters and just like citizen, like you gotta you gotta slave hunters. That was a that was like a a a profession that people did, like in the north. Um, and they call it the uh, they call it the misery, I believe, in this book. Mm -hmm. They just call it the misery or something like that. I think like what I liked was um. The idea, like body and soul, right? Like, like that concept. Those two things are so intertwined in a way that, like, I hadn't experienced so effectively conveyed before. Yeah. Like, raw, just you know, because you have to do this thing. It's like these people are like spiritually broken, mm-hmm. um, but they have this like you know, obviously, like they're contending with these things, and like then just like the physical violent aspect of all of this stuff like just what it is to have a body in pain and just like but those two things are so like close to each other in this book yes in a way that that i think is like another reason why it was somewhat unsettling like i've never i've never really encountered something like that done so effectively yeah it's a it's a very um you know yeah anti-cartesian yeah a book right like it which is this sort of a you know there's a lot of work done in in these days in you know (coughs) excuse me philosophy trying to you know feminist philosophy and the critical like not critical race theory specifically but race philosophy of race and so on was like this is that's a very western you know white male conception the body mind separation going back to descartes this book is way on the other end of the spectrum and i think you're, you're totally right that it conveys that truth really uh really effectively um so maybe i'll just say a little bit like very brief plot summary uh full spoilers ahead as always um (laughs) excuse me uh so basically the book opens with um a woman uh setha and her daughter uh denver who are living in cincinnati uh in the home of setha's mother-in-law uh baby sug um, Suggs, I forget. Suggs, Suggs. yeah, Suggs. sorry, baby Suggs, and um, they have escaped uh, slavery from uh, Kentucky, um, from a place called Sweet Home, and uh, are are living there um, alone. Baby Suggs has died uh, by the time when the book opens. Um, although we go back to times when she was alive, the book is very um, non-linear. You know, it jumps around time time frames a lot it jumps around perspectives it's third person it's first person at times it's it's very uh an amalgamation of perspectives and and settings and times yeah well one of the things is right like minds like people's like rememories as they're called and and minds are are not distinct and neither is time itself like the past obviously very clearly is it still exists and is like strong in in points and stuff like that so yeah so, um, 
you know, they're living alone, and and essentially what happens is uh, one of the other uh, slaves from Sweet Home makes his way to Cincinnati. The Paul D, who is presumably the last of the surviving, uh, you know, they, it's in the book. It's they're called Sweet Home Men, right? Yeah, um, Sweet Home boy, and Boys. I think no, it, Sweet Home Men. men yeah, yeah. And uh, we'll we'll talk about what about Sweet Home in more detail later, um, and like what 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 that really means because it was a bit of a unique situation for like a plant like a slave plantation back then um but he makes his way there uh seth's husband had is disappeared um presumed dead although not fully confirmed i don't think ever yeah there's a um, question mark on that the whole yeah. time yeah and i think one of the things that i loved about this book is that there's there are so many question marks there's so many like kind of like figures that are are spectral beyond the 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 ghost quote-unquote another question mark the quote-unquote ghost um who is another main character in the book uh and and um seth's husband hallie is is one of those figures so paul d shows up um setha and her daughter denver have been kind of socially ostracized even by the uh, black community in Cincinnati for reasons that are explained later and are basically don't leave their house anymore. Um, they think the house is haunted. Paul D sort of exercises the ghost. Him and Setha have a sort of sexual kind of romantic relationship for a while. They go out to this carnival and then they come back and there's this strange woman sitting on their front porch, right? Or sitting on the steps of their front porch or a, it might be a tree stump or something. I forget exactly where she is near the house. Um, and she's described as like walking out of the river or the water. Yeah, she's wet. She's dripping. She's dripping wet, uh, like really kind of. Um, and she's weak. She like can't move. And she's in nice clothes. Yeah, in nice clothes, yeah. kind of like but frail. Um, and she tells them her name is Beloved. And this is eerie because uh well whatever we'll get into the details anyway beloved sort of embeds herself in the family she winds up uh, sort of seducing paul d they have sex paul d kind of starts to feel weird and like can't feels like he can't stay in the house so he leaves um and then the relationship between setha and beloved starts to become like codependent in a very kind of scary way uh denver starts to get pushed out um and it's basically about how they deal with this strange figure in their home um and and attempting to sort of rescue denver attempting to sort of rescue setha from what she sees as the pernicious influence of this figure who it is heavily implied maybe the ghost of um setha's uh, third child who she um killed because when they when they first made it to Cincinnati she, when she left sweet home she was pregnant with a child uh, she had the baby on uh, I believe on the boat as they were crossing uh, the river um, she the, had on the riverbed with that the that random poor white girl oh that's right that's right that's right yeah. she has it on the riverbed yeah yeah where she's found by uh, what was that girl's name Amy Amy I think yeah. yeah we'll talk about that as well and anyway, so her, as we referenced the Fugitive Slave Act, Setha and her children are found uh, in Cincinnati by um, school teacher who was the uh, who took over running Sweet Home after the original owners were either dead or ill. And um, Setha decides that it's she'd rather her children be dead than go back into slavery. So she go, takes them out into the shed and starts trying to kill them. She only succeeds in killing one, um, and that 
may or may not be who Beloved is when she comes back. Yeah. Yeah. Can can I read the Romans quotation? Yeah, please. So this this is what starts the book, the little thing. Um, 60 million and more, I will call them my people, which were not my people, and her beloved, which was not beloved. Romans 9.25. Yeah. So I think the 60 million and more part is the, is just is not part of the quote, right? That's the, just the dedication. Uh, oh, maybe. Sorry. I'm, I'm in, I have a, like a... No, no, no. I, I mean, it's important to read because I, as my understanding is that was that dedication is a reference to all of the people who died, not just not in slavery, but in on the Middle Passage, like on the boats on the way over from. Yes, Africa. that's right. Yeah. Yeah. I have a janky PDF, so excuse me. No, no, no um, it's yeah. all good. My copy is like the 60 million and more is on one page and then you flip it and it's the Romans. So, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. And I, I know Morrison was describing, like, the, the initial, like, she was inspired to write this story, um, having, like, read some historical account, basically, of a mother uh, killing her children because it was, like, perceived as a kindness in this perverse, horrific situation to do, knowing what she knew would be, like, in store for them. Margaret, um, I think I believe Margaret Garner was the name of the oh the, you know the, yeah, the, yeah, the yeah. real the real life woman that the story is loosely based on, right? Yeah, and that I and the Garner and the Garners the that knew oh that, that knew that you, you guys both do. <laughs> Sorry, we boned up, dude. <laughs> uh, and the Garners are the name of the sort of um, like empathetic, sort of more progressive uh, plantation owners, correct? That yeah, runs the, runs Sweet Home, the original owners of Sweet Home, yeah, which was interesting. Huh. So, yeah, I mean, just a little tidbit. Yeah. So where to start with this? Um, <laughs> I, I think that, you know, it's and, and we've I've in my even in my overlong plot summary, barely scratched the surface of a lot of the stuff that goes on in the book. I mean, I mean, the big questions for me were was like what uh, like morally, how do you judge the act of killing your child for those reasons? And the other big question for me is like, what exactly did Beloved, what, what, who was Beloved? What did she represent? Well, I think that the past, like, it's funny, like taking a ghost and like a horror, you know, a sort of a horror entity and, and applying it to a, just the horror of that whole situation and the and the sort of just imminent uh, I don't know what the word is, but that just like the tangibility of that past never dying, right? Uh, and so on, you know, one of many ways that I saw beloved uh, like was just that that destructive relationship one can have with the past, right? Like she's they're codependent, but it's it becomes increasingly parasitical, and 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 just yeah. killing of setha um it, well even to the point where by the end by t by the end of the story beloved like they're they're ba essentially like use the term parasitic and they're basically like changed they're, they're changing in size in an inverse relationship right like beloved is growing and getting larger and and is indeed pregnant and setha is like shrinking and getting smaller and and sort of starving is um, beloved pregnant I, that's how I think she, that's how I read I it. I thought she just had a big belly it and it too. was like just like it looked perversely like she was pregnant. I, I don't know if it's ever explicitly said that she's pregnant. Because um, when you said in I, bed, I definitely thought of a tick. 
Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> Basically, you know, yeah. just sucking the lifeblood out of somebody. Well, I think that that's a totally like valid reading of it because, I mean, again, there's a lot of ambiguity in this text, right? If whether or not Beloved is uh, actually a ghost or a, a real person uh, who is just sort of happens to be because there's a couple um, references in uh, in sort of passing references in the text to a, a girl who had like escaped sexual slavery in the vicinity of Cincinnati. And Ella. Been, yeah, 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 that's right. Um, and people so, kind of assume that because beloved is like that she's described as having like clean feet, like feet that have like basically never been walked on. And yeah, she has like no scars, smooth like, hands. That's one of the things that they, like when they first meet her, like Paul, Paul D and Denver and Setha, like that's one thing they like can't stop noticing and thinking about is just like what like wh- why is your skin like this which i think is interesting because of course like that could be compatible with like this kind of like birth like a like a baby's skin right like re- ha- beloved ha- being born out of the river coming from the other side but also compatible with like being locked in a basement and never leaving or walking around you know what i mean like yeah. and she also importantly does have a scar her yes. second, her second smile, as they call it, on her neck, where the hacksaw was, you know, used, which is the yeah. heaviest <laughs> implication that there is that that it's the child, and yes. also the fact that she would be roughly the same age that beloved would have been had she not been killed. Which I, I guess we should. I think it's like eight, it's like eighteen, right? Eighteen. Yeah, Denver's like nineteen, so I think I don't know. Beloved's like yeah, seventeen or eighteen. Well, yeah. and we also should point out, I guess, now that she's. She calls herself beloved, right? But they didn't like the baby that was killed. Was that wasn't her name? It was just the the only words they that uh, Setha could afford for the headstone were the yeah were, were, yeah it was only beloved because she it, it, she heard at some other f- funeral right the the preacher say dearly beloved or something right. And that yeah, was like right. the, the phrase that she remembered, but she could only afford the one word to put on the on the, yeah. the, the importantly pink headstone. So, I mean, huh. just for all those facts added up for me, I read it as this is a ghost. <laughs> it's definitely a ghost. It's not like a switcheroo and this is like a real person. You know, I, I just read yeah. it as like this is a ghost. Yeah. And uh, what were you going to say, Matt? Oh, no, no. Just like her, her, her finding a body was fascinating to me, too. Like her recorporation or however you want to call it into flesh was just like it's just, it was it's just the, like the vaguest eeriest accounting of that idea that i've heard i, I yeah I, I was almost thinking of um this is i mean whatever this is like did you ever watch uh, uh the original hellraiser oh yeah of course yeah. oh yeah do you remember when he the guy like he he's like bones and then like the flesh starts to like grow around like i almost yeah, like yeah, yeah, saw yeah. that oh, process in my head yeah yeah i love that because she keeps talking about seeing uh, the man with no skin that's coming for her, which is presumably some sort of like steward of the dead. Yes. Who is like, okay, like we we knew you'd be back. Like, come on, you man. Know? That that fucking maybe we should save detailed discussion of this part for the Patreon. But um, the <clears throat> that scene uh, where there's like a couple, there's like a sequence of chapters where it's going from uh, Setha to. Um, Denver to Beloved's like perspective and like the one the the Beloved chapter where she's talking about like being uh, in the other world or on the other side was 
I think the scariest depiction of like hell or like post death experience that I've ever fucking read. Well, she was, was a killed, bad. murdered child, so it, you know, in old school Christianity, wouldn't she be in purgatory? It's yeah, what it felt like she was in right. Like, yeah, that's true. Because unbaptized, yeah. like sort of little babies would be in this sort but, of I mean, mid- limbo, right? Because people are of, people are constantly like disappearing and entering that that world. Yeah, right? yeah. It just it was such a terrible depiction. It seemed like a, a state of being that you could not get out of. You know, like well, purgatory always seems to be depicted as like, oh, you could you could get out, <laughs> but this was just like <laughs> extreme horrible darkness. Yeah, I think that's limbo. It's just yeah, there's it's nothing. Right. And she's well when she's there, she's she's constantly waiting. Like you know, when when she gets into the 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 quote-unquote real world again, like they act, like of course they kind of ask her like where are you from? Like what's go like what's the deal and who are you? And the only thing she can really remember is is a bridge, right? And waiting yeah. on the, waiting on the bridge. Um and the book the book is it's not like there's um a wait for this entity to sort of enter the picture, like pretty immediately you're, they're describing this kind of, you can already tell like somewhat ostracized uh, mother and daughter um, with some sort of history and some bad blood with the community. Um, And then this ghost is just introduced as like a poltergeist, almost like audibly walking through the house. It like, there's a really gruesome accounting of the, the, the ghost getting angry and like, um, smashing a, the pet dog of the house and its eye popping out of its face yes. and Setha having yeah. to push it back in. Yes. And like, I mean, and then like Setha also has two sons um, mm. who immediately get the fuck out of there <laughs> yeah. basically because it's just, it's a haunted house and it's horrible and they, you know, they leave and it's just another addition to her sense of um, abandonment and the kind of, it's also kind of hinted at that they left because they were terrified of, Setha murdering their True, sisters. True, yes, yeah. of course, yeah. yeah. What, uh, ha- Howard and Bugler, right? Yeah. And they're gone. We don't meet them again, right? We don't meet them at all. They're another... Wow, they're kind of like the Blue Wizards in Lord of the Rings. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, God, already. Do not relate this to your <laughs> no, favorite geez. thing. I'm sorry. It's a heavy episode. I got to make some yeah. stupid jokes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, for sure. I mean, I think... Well, and they're another example of these characters, these these entities that are sort of, you know spectral echoes in the text and the lives of all these people, right? Like there's the, there's Halle, there's the sons, there's the, there's beloved herself. Uh, there's baby Suggs who, yeah. you know, and then, and, and, and then, so I think like, again, like we, you know, we talk a lot these days about like generational trauma, right. And for, for marginalized groups and slavery specifically. And like, this is such a just fucking, you know, I, I I don't want to resort to like obvious words like powerful or whatever, but it just feels fucking true, you know, in terms of yeah. describing that sort of experience. And like you said, Matt, the way that it echoes physically, you know, there's detailed descriptions of the scars on Seth's back and they're shaped like a tree and like roots and the way that this yep. shit, this, the way that this shit has has rooted and, and embedded itself in the experience of black people in America um, I think there's a lot of really, you know, strong metaphors for that and, and, you know, throughout the book. Yeah. Well, Morrison is yeah. such a, such a good writer, like just like so imagistically layered and, uh, 
yeah, it just it just um it just slowly accumulates even within the like span of this book in a way that feels like weighs on you. I just kind of want to read a little bit from it. Um, I, I think I want to read. I like it's going to be a little bit long, but I think it's worth it just because again she's such a good writer, and and I think one of my favorite parts of the book was the transition from the um like carnival scene, which is this really like beautiful hopeful like fun like it's yeah. like one of the first times that setha and denver have gotten out of the house and like setha is feeling like hopeful about paul d and like potentially making a life together and and sort of rebuilding and then and the as next, soon as that happens beloved comes the, yeah the which next, makes me yeah. think this is like a horror book yeah it re, no it <laughs> is it kind of to- is totally a it horror, is, yeah horror like trope um so this is from the end of that the 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 uh carnival chapter into beloved's first um uh appearance um so they're talking about the all the people at the uh carnival um so this is talking about paul d he slapped his knee when giant danced with midget when two-headed man talked to himself he bought everything denver asked for and much she did not he teased Setha into tents she was reluctant to enter, stuck pieces of candy she didn't want between her lips. When wild African savage shook his bars and said, wah, wah, Paul D. told everybody he knew him back in Roanoke. Paul D. made a few acquaintances, spoke to them about what work he might find. Setha returned the smiles she got. Denver was swaying with delight, and on the way home, although leading them now, the shadows of three people still held hands. And then the next chapter opens um a fully dressed woman walked out of the water she barely gained the dry bank of the stream before she sat down and leaned against a mulberry tree all day and all night she sat there her head resting on the trunk in a position abandoned enough to crack the brim and her straw hat everything hurt but her lungs most of all sopping wet and breathing shallow she spent those hours trying to negotiate the weight of her eyelids the day breeze blew her dress dry the night wind wrinkled it nobody saw her emerge or came accidentally by if they had, chances are they would have hesitated before approaching her. Not because she was wet or dozing or had what sounded like asthma, but because amid all that she was smiling. It took her whole it took her the whole of the next morning to lift herself from the ground and make her way through the woods, past the giant temple of boxwood to the field, and then the yard of the slate gray house. Exhausted again, she sat down on the first handy place, a stump not far from the steps of one two four. By then keeping her eyes open was less an effort. She could manage it for a full two minutes or more. Her neck, its circumference no wider than a parlor service saucer, kept bending, and her chin brushed the bit of lace edging her dress. And I just, I, that, the, that transition was so creepy to me, and like, like yeah, just very horror tropey uh, in, in a good way. Um, and of course, uh, the reference to 124 there, that's the address of the house where uh, Setha lives. Um, and where baby Suggs had lived before. And I think, and, uh, yeah, go ahead. Uh, I was like, numerically, you just said like the shadow of, of the three. Yes. And then the one, two, four being, you know, skipping the, a number and like discussing the, the hidden quaternity in the Trinity, basically. 100%. And, uh, and also it's, isn't that a, a, a sort of exponential doubling as well? That was the only other idea I could think of with the address. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess it would be, right? Like, it's some, I don't know anything about math, but it surely is some sort of sequence of numbers that are mathematically significant. Like, right, right? Like, one times two is two, two times two is four. Four, yeah. and then you go up and you create a sort of asymptotic curve, right? Right, right. 
which I don't know what to do with that idea. Well, I mean, I think it could also be a way in which like some of these generational historical traumas tend to snowball, snowball and escalate and linger. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Very creepy. I I really just liked this line, even in, in the first chapter. Uh well, I mean, first of all, the opening line is one, two, four was spiteful, full of a baby's venom. <laughs> yeah. So uh, but also just re- uh, sort of more at the bottom. Winter in Ohio was especially rough if you had an appetite for color. Sky provided the only drama and counting on a Cincinnati horizon for life's principal joy was reckless indeed. Love that line. That's a little that's funny for like anywhere in the uh, in the Midwest, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> that's a great winter description of anywhere. Well, I think it's I think it's interesting that you mentioned color there, Matt, too, right? Like uh, because color is, of course, like one of the I don't know if it's like a major theme of the book, but baby Suggs, uh, you know, as we see in flashbacks, she sort of after um, Setha kills a beloved, she kind of starts deteriorating mentally and physically and she yeah. kind of won't leave her bed and she just kind of sits there and she becomes very, um, you know, cynical understandably right given her like like experience and she becomes um you know focused on like all she wants to do is just meditate on different colors basically and sorry and i think so yeah i know sorry (laughs) um and i think that that's a really important sort of dimension to the book uh uh, that uh, that again i don't know fully what to make of um but yeah yeah, the murder is just sort of this crippling blow to this woman who has, like, gone through so much that you wouldn't think that anything could. And she's so, like, primed for horror and violence and disappointment that she just seems ready for anything. And then, yeah, she just get, and she's like a, she's kind of this, like, sort of wise uh, forest preacher, sort of holy woman to the community in Cincinnati. Uh, but, yeah, this this murder just ends her well it's like a it's like a it's like she was murdered twice though and she has more of a physical reaction after beloved is murdered the second time and i think that's partially because you know she rationalized uh why she killed the baby oh you're you're talking about setha now not the baby baby sugs oh i thought you were talking about baby i thought you were talking about setha being in the bed at the end Oh, well, she is at the end also, right? She kind of repeats the cycle of Baby Suggs, even I oh, believe, okay. in yeah. Baby Suggs's bed, right? Yeah, she starts also wanting to like just meditate on colors and things that are uh, presumably, but still not detached from the horrors of reality and that they live in and stuff like that. Oh, sorry. I thought you were talking about that scene at the very end. Well, finish your thought anyway. No, I was going to say, I, I just thought that Setha was was reacting like i said in to beloved's death the second time feeling like the the loss of it in the way that she didn't necessarily feel it the first time because she rationalized the the killing and i think rightly so i mean that's why in the in, like towards the beginning i brought up like the the moral reality of of killing your child in this scenario in this world in this life as like a slave um i just i, I wholeheartedly like agreed with her decision to do that you know um which makes it more of a horrific tale to me because like i think that you know there's actually historical evidence of it happening and it um i'm sure it probably happened a lot 
Um, but to be like punished by a ghost for that um, just seemed kind of like a horror trope. Like, yeah. you know, being judged by your moral conundrum. The being grudge. judged by the grudge. It's really a judge by the grudge. <laughs> I mean, it's crazy when, you're, when your future is essentially as certain as the past. Like mm, that that seems like it. that seems like such a uh just like you're just a you know a bug pinned now between two cert- certainties and it's just like what do you do in that reality which is like a perversion of what it sh- what reality should be for people right you know well and, and yeah and of course that's like the was the reality of slavery as well. Right. And like there's Paul D who, you know, has his own kind of uh, coping mechanisms. Right. He talks about his, his like rusted shut tobacco box. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Where he keeps all of his trauma and memories. And he's, 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 he's very much the archetype of like, I'm not, I'm just not talking about any of this shit ever. Yeah. Stoical right? silent guy. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, uh, you know, he, he did, there's one point where he's, I forget if it's in a flashback or in like a, a real time moment, but he's talking about, you know, feeling like, a you know, like, just like a, an animal who's like pinned and, and stuck. And, and then of course he also starts to feel the influence of beloved and he talks about himself. I forget, you know, I forget the exact phrasing and I don't think I uh, highlighted it, but like as being like a, a doll, like a rag doll, like being like, being able to like be picked up and put down like wherever, like by this, this girl. Um, Mm -hmm. so yeah, there's a lot about kind of not being in control of your own life. Right. Yeah. But it makes me think of like, what, what exactly do you guys think beloved represents? Not like, not just, um, Seth dead child. It's like, to me, to me, beloved represented like, uh, a, a past that is a ghost. Like everyone's past is a ghost. But to make that ghost into something that is flesh and blood, you make it into something that is real and like something that you can't escape from. And to me, that like that's what Beloved was to every character that ended up interacting with her, like for more than a few moments. You know, it was like something that like kind of drove them crazy because like they couldn't, they almost like couldn't look away from her and they couldn't look away from their past. Like he couldn't, he couldn't he could no longer just like keep those things in his tin box. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a way of talking about like, um, because I think you're, you're, you're real spot on in the sense that like the, the move from like spectrality to physicality is a, a huge one. And I think like at the end of the book, by the end of the book, the community who had sort of shunned Setha, it a, because of what she had done and also B, um, the other sort of bad blood thing that started the ball rolling arguably was this party that baby Suggs had <laughs> yeah. right? that everyone in the community, like kind of thought was a little bit like ostentatious and like, like overly flaunting her like social status and, and her role in the community like too much. And so they, everyone kind of soured on the, the family after that. And then Seth's thing happened. Cause the other thing with baby Suggs is that she, the house that she has it was essentially, she was, gifted the house i mean she does pay rent and stuff but like she got it by virtue of being um brought to cincinnati by uh mr garner the sweet Mm -hmm. home owner 
and him kind of getting her in with some like quote unquote right like nice white nice white people in Cincinnati who let her rent this house and and of course like that's you know so there, there's com- complicated feelings about that in the community in the first place um, and uh, you know because the reason Baby Suggs was allowed to go was because her son Hallie said I will like work off whatever she would have been worth if you l- allow her to leave and, and yeah. Garner agrees. Um, so anyway, again, not a normal scenario either, right? Like that, yes. that agreement even being made. Yeah. I want to talk about the Garners, um, a lot more. Um, and maybe that'll be a Patreon thing. Let's save it. Let's yeah. save that. Um, because it, I think that opens a lot of, can- uh, uh, rusted tobacco boxes. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. The tin boxes do get c- cracked open. Yeah. Um, but so the point I was trying to make, uh, before I got distracted was about physicality and spectrality. And I think the... That that the physicality of it is what pushes everybody in the community over the edge because they're like when they when Denver finally goes out and like kind of asks for help for her family, um, which is like the first time she's ever left the house alone. People hear about it and they're like, "Man, being haunted by a ghost is one thing, but if they show up with a body, fuck that! Like that's yeah. a, that's a bridge too far, right?" Yeah, yeah. That was actually yeah. the the only moment in the book where I kind of chuckled because it's not a chuckly book, but that one lady was just like. <laughs> He's like, she's like, I'm okay with ghosts, but like, if there's a body, we gotta fucking kill this ghost. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, if there's some like, you know, greedy girl living ghost thing living there, you know, it's just like, wow, this lady's been through a lot. They well, do kind of like make this sentence of like, she did her penance too, because yes, I do exactly. I do, I do like how it is sort of borderline petty. The like ostentation and like how it just made everyone annoyed. And then the inclusion of like the far more like deep, just sort of uh, resuscitating of, of trauma and all that kind of stuff. You know, as they said, uh, anything dead coming back to life hurts. So great line. Yeah. And, and I, when I and again, I think that's true of of history. Right. And the past. And like I, I watched a couple interviews with Morrison and she was like, I did not want to write this book at all because it's just like, you know, such a difficult thing to to you know talk about and and you know even for someone even for a a, a, you know a black woman in america she she talked about having felt felt like i don't even know if i am qualified to talk about this because i didn't actually go through it right and having that feeling but it but then i think the way she does it with the, the the past and the way that it echoes and and reflects in the present is was a, was a, a sort of a compromise for her in that approach, you know, because of course mm-hmm. it still affects black people in America. Like that's what the whole book is about, and so I think that was that was her way of of getting around that hurdle for herself. Yeah, and there's also a bit of like you know when like what you said, Matt, like the past the past actually coming alive is like too much. But I also kind of believe that Morrison's trying to say that like it's never actually dead though. And I think that's 100%. part of the reason why she's so good at like encapsulating that voice. It just, it's like alive in her, you know, I mean, she's doing, she's doing something here that kind of is just like the embodiment of that idea in general. Like she's writing a book about a past that she admits she did not live through and like feels complicatedly about that for her own sake. And then sort of the message of the book a little bit is also like, you, you, you got to forgive yourself for some of this stuff. You can't let this sit so heavily on you that you just like wither away. Um, 
but at the same time, we're, you know, sort of not ironically, but just, you know, it, it, we're dealing directly with a past that is traumatic for the United States and for black people in the United States, like within, and then that message is embedded in that. So, it, you know what I mean? Like it's, yeah. it's doing both things at once. Well, and I think giving, I also think giving beloved a corporeal body is a way of, of really driving home the reality of the past, that it isn't just this like specter. It isn't just this thing that is kind of dead or disappeared or, or something that you can just kind of live with, but it is, it is real and has real effects day to day today. Right. That is, and I think that that's part of what she's trying to get at by, by making beloved a, a, a physical being rather than just like a, you know, specter. Can I, can I read a chunk? Go off. Yeah. It's also a little long, but it's, it pertains to what we were just saying. Uh, I was, walk I was talking about time. It's so hard for me to believe in it. Some things go, pass on, some things just stay. I used to think it was my rememory. You know, some things you forget, other things you never do. But it's not. Places. Places are still there. If a house burns down, it's gone, but the place, the picture of it, stays. And not just in my rememory, but out there in the world. What I remember is a picture floating around out there outside of my head. I mean, even if I don't think it, even if I die, the picture of what I did or knew or saw is still out there, right in the place where it happened. Can other people see it? asked Denver. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Someday you be walking down the road and you hear something or see something going on so clear. And you think it's you thinking it up, a thought picture, but no. It's when you bump into a memory that belongs to somebody else. Where I was born before I came here, that place is real. It's never going away, even if the whole farm, every tree and grass blade of it dies. That seems to me to be like the working idea of the past just sort of literally just existing on top of in layers the present yeah and i think you know one of the one of the other things again like the layering of the past and the reality of the past one of the things that setha talks about and um when she's talking to denver about yeah about sweet home it may be near where what you read i don't i don't think i highlighted it but um it, it, she talks about like one of the reasons she didn't like if 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 she ever went back to sweet home or back to that place it would just it wouldn't be you know a memory of the past it would be literally reliving that same cycle right and similarly when beloved comes back and this idea it, it it's it's more visceral than just a memory it's an actual reliving right and i think again giving beloved a body reliving she's re alive again with a physical body mm -hmm. um yeah, yeah. And Denver sort of represents, like, the next generation having lived in the relatively privileged position of uh, a free life. Um, and, in, you know, she... Very she, relative. She, <laughs> <Yeah>. Yes, <laughs> of course. But, like, you know what I mean? Like, I, I think she still serves that, like, function of, like, she, she kind of rolls her eyes and gets annoyed initially with her mom flighting off. And when Paul D comes, she's like, oh, my God, they're going to talk about sweet home and, like, I don't care. Let's talk about me. Yeah, just like, classic kid. Yeah, classic kid, teenager. Like boring old people talking about like doing farming somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Oh, your life is so hard. What about me? Oh, we get it. You walked uphill both ways. We get it. Uh, and so like I think importantly, she is, is kind of that uh, proxy sort of 
interpreter of things she's not gone through in the way that Morrison is and like true grow and like grows and matures and like fig- realizes she does have to fucking deal with it because it will be a huge problem if she doesn't. Yes. Yes. And yeah, her, her sort of transformation through the book is really interesting and we'll talk, we can talk about it more because believe it or not, we're rapidly approaching the hour. Oh, wow. And uh, I feel like we've barely gotten anywhere with this. Um, oh baby. No. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, any any other thoughts you guys want to get in in this uh, uh, main uh, main segment here? Not super short ones, no. Yeah, uh, Paul. In the Patreon segment, I do want to talk about the psychological elements of of Beloved. Yes, she's to me, she's just like so many different things besides the daughter, and mm-hmm. I just it's like almost an, like a limitless depiction of what she could be. So. Yeah, I want. I mean, I, we, her her sexuality, her relationship with Paul D, uh, is really interesting to me. That's I guess Pauly that's D. part of part Paulie D, my man. <laughs> oh um, my god, yeah. Because I, 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 I one of the reasons that I thought she was pregnant at the end is that I thought it was implied that it was Paulie D who got oh, her pregnant because they that's do have actually, sex, right? That makes sense, yeah. yeah. But and it also would have made sense in the sense that she was like sapping Setha's life and was like growing in sort of size uh based off that life force also right and it almost seemed like if she did give birth that would be like a real person like beloved actually mm. wasn't ever a real person she was like a real flesh and blood specter but like she would she would have had to be pregnant and give birth to be like next generation of whatever yeah. she is it was You'd sort of something like her, alive there her her, her like her her final like task in in order to become fully real would be to give birth or something like that, right? Which totally sounds like a freaking sci-fi horror novel, yeah, moment, totally. right? It's like in the the what is it the Night of the Living Dead the remake where they have a zombie baby. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, all right. Well, as, as we've already suggested, we have uh, a lot more to talk about. Uh, so this 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 Patreon segment may may be kind of long, um, but uh, if you want to hear that, if you want to hear the full discussion, that's over on the Spinecrackers Patreon. Uh, for as little as two dollars a month, you can uh, support the show, get access to the Discord and the full episodes. Um, it's popping, and we would love to see you over there. Um, and, come on down. Uh, come on down. We have fun. Uh, so with that said, yeah, I mean, I, I, I have, I have a long list of shit I want to talk about. I want, I want to talk about this book's relationship to Faulkner kind of, okay. um, just because that, well, whatever, I'll leave it for that. I want to talk about the idea of animality in the book because that's, mm-hmm. a, that's a huge sort of, s- yeah. School teachers whole thing is whole, interesting. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that's kind of like the, the falling out that, that Setha and Paul D have initially. I um, want to talk about, um. Some of the high school, college sophomore review, like five minute video reviews that I watched on on YouTube. That were <laughs> yes, <gross>. yes. <laughs> please, yeah, that's, please. That's, I, yeah, that sounds great. What like is going on? Like, there's like some red in this book. What does that mean? <laughs> I was fucking sad when I read it. Just one out of five. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, if you want to hear all that again, come on over to the Patreon. So now, we are gonna do the thing. As arguably inappropriate, <laughs> as arguably inappropriate as it feels, I might as well end the discussion like this with uh, uh, whatever levity we can muster. 
don't feel comfortable singing the song. I don't feel comfortable singing the song. Okay, fine, fine. We won't sing the song, but we will do the everywhere thing. you go, everywhah you do. It's a hard I mean, it was a full house. Yeah. Well, it was also an empty house. Yeah, yeah, both. Damn. Um, all right. So if you are new to the show, at the end of every episode, we most episodes, uh, I should say, because the last episode we didn't because it did, wouldn't have made any sense uh, with Mernan. <laughs> but we take the main characters from the book that we just read and we sort them into their respective Harry Potter houses. <laughs> and I, I will say, I feel like we should not do it. I mean, we decided not to do it last time. I kind of don't want to, but... Like before, before the episode we discussed it, we were like, we should do it. But now I'm like, well, you say we're doing some sort of violence to the book itself at this point. I think we only wanted to get to the joke that <laughs> beloved was moaning Myrtle. <laughs> that's it. That's that all we wanted it. to say. That's it. That's yeah, the big just, joke. We just get that out there. That's the joke. Fine. We can we can skip the rest of the segment because uh, yeah, it's arguably <laughs> arguably not uh, appropriate. But yeah, it just doesn't feel right. That was the real know? that was the joke. We felt like we had to get in there. <laughs> <laughs> Worth it. All right. Fine. <laughs> uh, so then the next segment would be uh, the Scrabble word, which is where we pick a word from the book that was either new to us, that we thought was interesting, that we didn't know, uh, or one that would just be ep- epic to drop in a Scrabble game. Um, who's got one? I have I two, forgot. I, 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 uh, Matt forgot. I forgot. I tailed my pages, but I didn't circle the word. So All right. I'm well, I'll, for I'll, I'll go, I'll go first. Cause I, uh, I do have one and my word is taffeta. Oh, the material T A F F E T A. Yeah. That was a new word to me. I'd never heard it. It's a type of fabric. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's mentioned in the book. It's a, it's like, I guess it's like similar to silk. Um, it's, it's, it's in reference to, we talked about, uh, beloved s- smooth skin and it's, it's one of the terms that's employed to, um, kind of talk about what her skin is like. Yeah. Is it taffeta? I don't know. I think it might be taffeta. I don't know actually. Okay. Yeah. All right. I'm sorry, I might have to wait till my, I can't find it. All right. I'm that's to wait I'll, I'll find it for the Patreon. Bums. I'll, ju- I'll just you. go ahead and I'll just go ahead and use the word churn because I just like it. Great word and uh, decent Scrabble word. It's a decent one. C H U R N. What is that? Eight, uh, nine points. Is it? Yeah. H is four. C is three. Oh, I found mine. And depending on where you put it on the board. Well, obviously. of course. Yeah. I'm just talking about the base values of the letters. Yeah. yeah. Base value, nothing. Bit raw, nine yeah. points. <laughs> All right, Paul, what's yours? I, f- I found mine. Mine is uh, Rancor because of Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Nice. Uh, nice. It means bitterness or resentfulness, especially when long-standing. Which I, which I actually, I always thought of this word as just being from Star Wars, as being a Star Wars monster. Well, so that's now pretty, you, know. you know, yeah. The more knowledge you know. is power. Knowledge is power, baby. Knowledge is power. All right, that means there's only one thing left to do, and it's that's not. I, I get to go last because I picked the book, so that means okay. tomorrow. Uh, this is where we give the book a score out of five. Uh, one being absolute garbage. It my life was actively worse because I read this book. Two being like pretty bad, didn't love it. Three average, good. Oops, sorry, cut out. Four very good. Five life changing. Mm-hmm. Classic. Yeah, I mean, 
This is one of those things where, uh, I first of all, yeah, like I said before, I, I had read it before. Um, this is the only Morrison book I've read, uh, but this is the one that I did read before, and it was really good then, and it is really good now. Uh, like I said, there's an effect raw on my mind <laughs> that this book uh, achieves and, and that I, I've not experienced, really. And that's always a high mark for me. Like, I just think it really lives up to its reputation. Um, and the, when I say disturbing, I, again, it, it might sound like a cliche to say that word, but there's so little that, like, actually does that. Like, maybe I'll say it flippantly sometimes, but, like, I don't know. I j an affecting piece of literature. Um, and one that deserves the standing that it has, like, completely. So I'm going to go ahead and give it a, a, a 4.5. Nice. Nice. Yeah. So, Matt, would, would you say that you uh, beloved this book? I beloved it. I absolutely <laughs> beloved it. <laughs> would read again. Would recommend to friends. Also, it's funny. I was just thinking about the fact that, like, this ain't on Oprah's book club. Oprah acted in the fucking film adaptation, so that's like. <laughs> oh, is that true? Yeah, she played Setha. I didn't even yeah, really know there not, was. It's a... not in, in her book club. It's in her book life. I didn't even know there was that's a film version. Yes, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how good this book was. Good to know. All right, Paul. I just wanted to clarify what you were talking about. Like when I was pointing out the word disturbing earlier, it was I was thinking about it in terms of like the the actual like historical depictions of the slaves being treated poorly. I didn't know we were talking about like the book as as a whole at the, in that moment. Like this book is fucking disturbing as fuck. You know, it's like it's like a horror novel. You know, like we talked about. Um, but yeah, I, I I love this book. I love Morrison's writing. She has like a just a a brilliant flow and her use of like I I can't describe anything about when it when it comes to style. I'm just like this works <laughs> or it doesn't. But this really Good, fucking bad. works. You know, but it, it's real good. It's like amazing you know um but i think one of the strongest elements of the book for me is that like it, it can turn something that is you know very historically known in our society or whatever and make it more real than just a historical depiction uh, mm. to me that's like not necessarily what like a what great fiction has to do but that's one thing that it can do like it can make um something that's historical even like more prominent in your mind like a, a good fiction novel can do that and i feel like she succeeded like wholeheartedly um but that's funny I, my my actual score is also 4.5 i was gonna do 4.4444445 just to be <laughs> funny but it was i was like i'm gonna do I'm gonna 4.124 yeah yeah 4. some sort of joke one <laughs> Yeah. But yeah, 4.5 for me too. Hell yeah. Um, yeah, I think this book is uh, uh, incredible and important. And if uh, just want to reiterate, if you think people should not read this book, you're a, f you're a hog. And uh, <laughs> I, I, I... Don't I, animalize people. If one, you should have known true, better after true. this. No, you're right. I'm yeah. sorry. Uh, and I personally hate you. Um, <laughs> there we go. That's fine. You, That's fine. If, if, yeah. you, uh, if you are at all sympathetic to that... Um, you know, it's, you know, 
yeah, I agree with everything that's been said. Morrison's writing is is incredible and evocative and gets inside you in ways that are unpredictable and and unreplicable. Um, uh, I think, you know, yeah, I, I, I don't know what else to say other than that. You know, this book is. I think it should be. I think it should be required much even more than it is um, currently, uh, in terms of people's understanding of the slavery and America, and and just kind of bringing that home in a way that, you know, I think talking abstractly about history and getting the facts in order is obviously important, but but there's a way in which it doesn't quite nail it into your heart the way that a book like this does. You kind of, kind of, um, you kind of have to put flesh on it. Weirdly enough, yes, like beloved, yes. and like have it terrorize you sometimes. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so, yeah, uh, I in in I don't know I, this is I don't know if this is unprecedented, but I my was I was already going to give it a dead on four point five as well. Get out of oh. here! No dead ass, dead ass. So it, this may be a first. Damn, uh, it is a first for the show. Um, yeah, four point five the show. <laughs> four point five the show. <laughs> God. Oh my God! <laughs> I hate my life. <laughs> that was good. That was really good. Yeah, that was good. Um, Shit. So, yeah. I mean, I think. Wow. Okay. Here's a quick, quick, just quick little bonus follow up. What what keeps it from uh you know like like perfection type score for for everybody? That's a good question. That is a great question. I I, I feel like it might be the fact that I had read it prior. Mm. A little bit or something like that. Mm. Um, And potentially, and this might, I don't know if this is controversial at all, but like, it's not my experience. True. (laughs) And uh, it might just stop it from like hitting my brain (laughs) in that particular way, just for for that reason, that distance. I don't know. Yeah. I think that's like probably actually true for me too. I just feel like if I... Yeah, if I resonated with it more personally, because I feel like my my fives or like my four point sixes and above, selfishly have been like ones that have personally resonated with me. So maybe that's the only thing. But yeah, that that I that feel like personal connection. I weirdly did think like why is yeah like why isn't this a five? Why isn't it you know so. No, I think that's. I I, I think that's legit. Like the like something that resonates with you deep on a deeply personal level, you know, it's it's that gives it that extra push. Um, I think that's totally fair. I mean, and I and I think it makes sense. I mean, yeah, for for me, I think like, I guess uh, I I didn't. I I guess a couple things, and we'll talk about it more in the Patreon. I didn't. I I have some um, questions and or like. And I know this is a shout outs to the discord who made the Charlie Rose reference. <laughs> if you if you haven't watched uh, Charlie Rose's interview with Toni Morrison, um, <laughs> don't unless you want to get really angry. We'll um, do it. It's just yeah, it's yeah, informative yeah. in a painful way. Yeah, 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 yeah ex- exactly. Painful. Um, but he, he <laughs> you terrible. know, yeah, it's not great. Um, but I did have some some questions or reservations about the way uh most of the white characters were depicted like the garners and the bodwins um and and amy in the sense that i almost like i guess it was weird that we only had it felt weird to me that there's only really one like truly cruel villainous white character in the book 
namely the uh, school teacher. Yeah. And, and that felt a little bit unrealistic to me or or like i don't know it gave me some weird vibes and i i may i i'm I'm, my mind is totally open to being convinced that this is a an unfounded worry um but but i i don't know it just felt weird that like the plantation owners were nice and the white people that they meet in cincinnati are nice and i I don't think that was i think that maybe let's talk about in the page let's save it let's save it i think that was like a definitely a choice yeah, yeah, and like uh, I said, I'm totally. I, I I do want to talk about it. I'm totally open to to changing my mind on it. But that was something that that I don't know. I, I felt a little bit weird about or or unsure about. And I also I think other, it relates to like sweet sweet home and the sweet home men in particular. Yeah, and their idea of like being like a good slave or a good man and a slave. Like it, yeah. it relates. To, yeah, we'll talk about yeah. it and who yeah. the Garners would know and all that. Yeah, yeah, we'll talk about it. Um, and the other thing is, well, you know, I didn't I didn't totally love the ending i kind of thought I, I i guess i wish i i wish we could have seen a little bit more into the lives of the larger community before they kind of come in at the end and and help setha because that felt i don't i don't want to use like a fucking mauler like deus ex, <laughs> deus ex machina type thing um but it but it, it was verging on that a little bit for me. And I feel like if we had gotten a little bit more insight into the other people around them in the community, in their sort of day-to-day lives and how they thought, like there are a couple conversations that we get. Um but I, I feel like I, I, I sort of wanted more of that in terms of building up to and, and, and justifying the ending. I, I know what you mean. Like the, 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 the narrative was fragmentary already, even with its sort of concentration of characters that it was ever sort of depicting the the perspectives of or whatever, like having a random throwaway, not throwaway, but like a random cutaway or whatever to the internal workings of various residents. Yes. And the differences of their circumstances and also their perspective on one, two, four would have been mm-hmm. an interesting thing. And, you know, it's maybe maybe just literarily that would have made the book too unwieldy or too long or, or whatever if it if it went down. That I mean, road. Yeah. but who knows? You know, so that's anyway, that's sort of my justification for the uh, the score. All cool. right, everybody. Well, that's it for now. As we've said again, uh, we'll come hang out on the Patreon. We'll be there uh, for a while for this one, probably. And um, thanks so much for listening. Bye. 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 And, and uh, you guys are, you guys look great today. You too. I mean, I meant the listeners. He meant the audience. Oh, oh I forget sometimes that we're talking to an audience. You look good, you look good too, Paul. Yeah. All right, everybody. Bye.